Hey there, welcome to Storytime with Ellie podcast. Today we're going to be speaking with Sonny Von Cleveland about his incarceration, about how he turned his life around from bad to good. The earliest memories of my life are riddled with tragedy, trauma, and sexual abuse. A convicted felon at age seven, I found myself incarcerated in the Michigan Department of Corrections at age 16, where I would spend 18 of the next 20 years of my life. Swallowed by a world of gangs, violence, and hatred, I believed that my life was destined for failure until a Muslim man in solitary confinement broke through my hardened exterior and showed me the pathway to living a better life, regardless of my past. This is a story of redemption. Today, I lead a life of service, partnering with local law enforcement, nonprofit organizations, ex-military, parole, and corrections officers. The goal of my life is to impart the wisdom and teachings that I have learned from my experiences of overcoming tragedy, forgiving myself and others, and processing emotional trauma on the journey of self-mastery. It's not what you've done, but what you do that defines who you are. And through it all, I've come to learn this one foundational principle about the quality of life. It's a choice. This is my story. Welcome, like Sonny. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And we appreciate you coming on to Storytime with Ellie to share your experience with our audience. And uh, let's just shoot. Let's just shoot. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. And uh, let's go. <laughs> uh, I was born and raised in Michigan in the backwoods uh, by Carson City, Michigan. It's kind of like right here in the, the middle of the mitten. Okay. <laughs> um, Carson City, Crystal area. Uh, it was not a very good childhood. Um, I was wrought with sexual abuse. Uh, the, at the age of five, my uncle started treating me as his personal plaything. Oh, and uh, over the course of the next five years, there was four other men that de decided that they were going to jump in there and, and jump, oh, uh, you know jump on on board with the molestation train uh and i thought that it was me right most of my life i thought that it was me that was doing something to attract these men um but i was i, I got convicted of a felony at age seven my brother and i broke into a, a church uh, the basement of a church called saint mary's cathedral uh stole some pudding cups and some playing cards and and went across the street to a baseball field and we're sitting in a dugout playing with the, the cards and eating the pudding and a couple of police officers rolled up. And next thing you know, I'm charged with breaking and entering uh, and charged That's, with a felony at seven years old, At seven years old. That seems like and I don't, a little harsh. No, it was a little harsh yeah, looking I mean, back at it now. Yeah, there was a, there was a significant problem that transpired there though. 
when I got arrested and, and charged, and then subsequently I was given 60 days probation, the men that were touching me in my life left. They got out of the way because mm. they didn't want, obviously, police attention. Right. And, well, and so in my young mind, I saw a connection. I said, okay, well, I'm not telling anybody. I'm not, I mean, these men are threatening my life. They're threatening my, my mother. You know, they're threatening my family. And so I didn't say anything, but the attention from the police made them go away. I understand. So, Silver lining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I was yeah. like, okay, well, these men don't want to hurt me. They want to help me. And they, they drive these perpetrators away. So I broke the law again. And here they come back again. And back into courts, prosecutors, judges, attorneys. And the men went away. And so in my mind, I developed this affinity for law enforcement. And the only way to make them continue to come around is to keep breaking the law. And so, you know, by time I'm 10, 12 years old, and I learned a a really bad lesson at a young age because I told on my Uncle Mike, because when I got convicted of that felony, I got an ass whooping like I've never had in my life. And my mother was trying to figure out why I'm such a bad kid. Why did I do this? And I, I cracked open and told her, you know, my uncle Mike is, is doing these things to me. Oh, and you, okay. You told um, her. Wow. And she, she lost her mind, obviously called the police. It ultimately led to him going to prison uh, for 15 years, but it destroyed my family. Like well, the threats that he made came true. And he told me, you know, if you tell anybody, it'll hurt our whole family. I'm going to have to hurt everybody in our family. And he wasn't wrong. The whole family, half of the family didn't believe me. They thought I was lying. And the other half, I don't know what the excuse was, but we stopped going to grandma's house. We, there were no more holidays with the family, the cousins and aunts and uncles, all of that went away. And in here, I thought it was my fault. Like I should not have said anything because I mean, and, and the weird part was they forced me to talk to him on the phone when we would go over to grandma's house. Oh right. Like God. if we went over there, me and my brother and my mother would go to grandma's house outside of the, the rest of the family. They did their own thing. And then we were allowed to come over and my, my uncle Mike would call while we're there and they would put me on the phone with him. Like, you want to talk to your uncle? I'm not going to say no. I, I'm, I'm in the habit of pleasing everybody. I'm a people pleaser. Right. And so I would talk to him and, you know, and that forced me. It, it taught me to keep my mouth shut about the rest of the men. Like, I'm not going to say anything about Tim. I'm not going to say anything about Daryl. I'm not going to say anything about Robbie because, you know, uh, in my experience, I told on one of them and everything went, to, went, went, went apart. So why would I say anything else? So I just kept it in and just kept breaking the law because that was the easy thing to do. Just keep the police coming around. I get probation. Everybody stays away. Uh, uh, and, wait, wait and so I developed that that mindset. And so by the time I was... 15 years old. I mean, I had eight, nine felonies on my record. I and mean, I was a seasoned criminal uh, without criminal con- intent. But uh, I had, I was in my school, in my high school, and I was smoking weed and we got caught for it. And the principal made us come to this, come to his office every day during lunch uh, for a drug intervention class. And I was, I was early one day and I'm sitting in the office and I noticed that the safe is open. So I leaned over and I, and I opened the safe with my foot. And I mean, there's tubs of money. I'm seeing stacks of money. There's tubs full of money. And, and this is, to me, now that I look back at it, this is, is exact, this is a look into the mentality that I was in. I grabbed a white envelope 
the only white envelope that was in the safe that you have no idea what's in it. Instead of all the other money and everything around it, I grabbed the white envelope. It was lotto. Turns out, right. <laughs> turns out there was two thousand dollars in it. <laughs> um, but and wow. so I got caught for that. And uh, ultimately, they the the my judge was sick of seeing me, and he's you know what I'm going to bind you over to adult court. Uh, and I went in front of adult judge for the first time in adult court and he was done. He's like, I'm sending you to jail. And while I was in jail, he gave me six months in the county jail. And while I was in jail, here come a slew of charges of all the other stuff that I'd done. I'd broke into houses, stole stuff. And these all came back and the judge sent me to prison. He was like, I'm not even going to play with you. You need to be taught a lesson. Uh, and I'm going to send you to prison. And he did. And that's where life went really south. Wow. I just have a quick question. Um, okay, so up to here, you've had a lot of bad things happen in your life that brought you up to where you are now. What, you're 15, 16 at the age? I was, I was 16. Yep. 16. Do, do you think, I know going backwards, but do you think, is there anything that could have been in your life that maybe directed you into a different direction as you were growing up? Is there something that you're not disciplined, taking care of in your home? Is there anything that you think that could have changed the outcome of where you, what you've gotten up to or where you? Sure. Plenty. Uh, I mean, it's your story. I, I think, this is where you are today, but yeah, no. You... And, and I, there, there's definitely opportunity. Um, I think it was oversight on my mother's part. Mm -hmm. um, I know if anybody touched my kid, there would never be an opportunity for it to happen twice. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Never. I'm, I would lock this kid up in a straight jacket in the bathroom if I have to. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, I, and I, again, I don't blame my mother. I don't hold her accountable for it. Um, because what's the point? I mean, there's no point in doing that, but I, I, I believe had my mother been a little bit more aware or attentive to what was going on, mm -hmm. she would have been like, hey, wait a minute, something's not right, and and would have prevented it. Um, that definitely could have helped. But also, I think there was a lack of compassion in the court systems. Mm -hmm. Like when, mm -hmm. when you have a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old mm -hmm. kid that's got seven, eight felonies, something's going on. Yeah, they never, <laughs> there was no and, help. They didn't reach out right, to and, try and, to get you some and, help at a young age. And for my brother, it was it was different. My brother was he was constantly breaking the law as well, mm -hmm. uh, but he wasn't victimized. He was uh, he fell in love with gang culture in the nineties. Uh, you know, fell under the Snoop Dogg and and all that, mm -hmm. um, and wanted to be a, a crip in our small little town. Uh, but they took him away. They put him in juvie. They put him in foster yeah, homes. They, like they you were picked on. They never did that to me. They never took me away. It was always probation, 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 probation. So Sad. I developed the consequences to my actions are nothing. It's just probation. Yeah, you're a product of your environment. Sounds and like so had they had a little bit more compassion with, with like, what's wrong with this kid? Something's going on. Maybe yeah, it would have been lashing out. You were lashing out. You were, you were for sure. looking for help. Yeah, yeah. I basically had a, a, a protesting board up like, Hey, <laughs> but so this is who this, all this in your life is what made you today, who you are, 100%. So, um, which you've came a long way. And, uh, I want to know about the, this, you, you hear about this in psychology all the time about mm -hmm. nature versus nurture, right? Sure. You're, 
you know, we we know what happened with, with you when you were younger with your family, but were they were there any criminals in your family that did other than what they did to you that were in jail or prison for any other other things? Because people want to know, hey, is this because he's a product of his environment, right? Or is it in his DNA? Like, it sounds yeah. like it's both. <laughs> yeah, what do there you think was about your not. Situation? <clears throat> there was not. Um, not that I know of, I don't know of anybody on my father's side or my mother's side of the family, except my uncle Mike that went to prison. I think I'm the only one. Wow. Yay. Black sheep. Oh, well <laughs> now you're all good, but let's, um, oh, so let's get, he's 16. Can you, um, and I'm fasting forward. So you went to prison. How old, yeah. how old were you when you got out? Like the last time you actually went in prison? So I went into prison at 16 for the first time. Right. That's um, and it was just, it was a very tragic time. Um, I was raped the first week I was there by two dudes. Um, and I stabbed one of the guys because of it. I mean, it was a very crude thing. I grabbed up some little tiny pencils and just ran across the hall. And rah, Yeah, I was going to ask you what you had to stab with. Yeah, because you know. It, and then, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't like, or, you know, kill the guy or anything. It's just little pencils. I mean, it probably mm. put some, some marks on his face or whatever, but, uh, nobody else knew what happened. They just saw me stab this guy. And so his, his little counterpart there, his co-rapist, uh, locked up immediately when, when they came running down the halls, the COs did, cause there's blood everywhere, uh, and got him. Then his buddy was like, you got to get me out of here. So everybody else was like, Damn. This skinny ass kid right here just stabbed the crap out of that guy. You must probably and they the respected me for it. Right. They did. <laughs> yes. They respected me for it. They respect you. And, and then I got approached by the gang. And the gang was like, my man, you're about your business. Right? We, we want to put you down. And I have never had any uh, interaction with gangs in my life, except my brother wanting to be a crip. Um, never really knew anything about it. Uh, but here I saw an opportunity for protection in prison because you can join a gang and it's, it's like a brotherhood and, and something snapped at me when those men raped me, I, I lost touch with reality a little bit. Um, I swore I would never be a victim again. I've been a victim my whole life and I'm done. I now right, know exactly. that I'm, I'm, I'm in the jungle and I don't care about anything anymore. I don't care about my own physical safety. I don't care about anybody else's physical safety or their feelings. All Survival. I know is I am going to survive. Yeah. And I did. And I, it, it's, I joined the gang and learned to be evil. Uh, I covered myself with tattoos. I stabbed everybody that came across me in any type of wrong way. And I developed a reputation for being the guy that stabs people. What was your name? What was um, your name? Uh, well, I did. I just had Sonny. It was just my name. Uh. Um, hey, call him poker. but yeah, no, well, they called me vodka for a long time. I don't know. And I don't know why, but they were just calling me vodka and I don't know why. And it was weird, but probably because you're clear uh, white, but, know. and that's what I thought. I was like, maybe I look like a fifth of vodka or something. Uh, but in, in 19, in, in, I think it was 99 in like August of 99 they opened up one of the first privatized youth facilities in the United States. Mm. Uh, it was a private prison owned by a company called Wacken Hut. And it was in Baldwin, Michigan. And I was on the second ride in into this facility. 
and they, they put us in this facility and all the employees were locals who didn't really have much training. And, and we were already seasoned criminals at this point. Like we were convicts. We'd been in prison for two years under the tutelage of seasoned convicts. And it was a war zone. These people did not know what they were doing. The, the facility is all in one building and they didn't know what they were doing. And so we were like, Hey, what's up with yard, man? We, we need our yard. And they just opened all the doors, all of them in all the units and said, go for it. And said, well, you know, what's going to happen here. It's mm. a territorial gang dispute yeah. immediately. We hit the yard and it's like, okay, this is our area. <laughs> that's yours. That's territories. Yours. Start a bloodbath ensued immediately within 30 days of this facility being opened. It was the most violent facility in Michigan, including oh. all of the DOCs. Oh and this is 18 God. to 20 year olds. There was oh. daily, I mean, there's five, six stabbings a day, uh, beatings left and right. And then there was this kid named White Tyson who slapped the CO. And that's a no-no in the DOC. That's an automatic mm. charge. You're going to get a con another some more time. But he slapped his CO. And then five days later, he's out of the hole. And all he had was an assault ticket. Because wow. they, didn't well, know, how was that? They, didn't know, they didn't know how to do their job. They didn't know what they were doing. Oh, my God. And so you know what happens there. It's a domino effect. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, now we're going to slap the shit out of all the COs. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. that became a thing. And, and then a couple months into it, uh, they knew that this was out of control. They didn't know what to do. So they brought in uh, these cert teams from Virginia and uh, some people from the DOC and locked the facility down and then took their revenge on us. Uh, they started putting us in the hole. And me in particular, uh, they would chain me up to the showers and just beat the hell out of me. Oh, my God. And, uh, we would go back in, and, and the only wreck that we would get, because that hole in Baldwin was the hole. I mean, there's no light. There's no windows to outside. You can't see anything. Just the the windows oh on the door. And we would get gassed almost as a recreational activity, right? We would put, we would cover up our doors and I'm going to kill myself. And then 10 minutes later, you've got a nine-man cert team with a shield and riot gear standing at your door. And they're going to give you three warnings. And then they're going to open your slot and they're going to spray pepper spray. And then they're going to charge that cell. And so it became kind of a game for us to see if we could get out of the cell. You know, get butt naked, put oh shampoo all over the floor and water all over the floor and put it all over yourself and let's go. Oh uh, and and they took their revenge on it. They would hog tie us up. And they would, you know, we'd be shackled behind our backs and our feet and they would take us out to the dog kennels and throw oh. us out in the snowbank for six, seven hours, coming out to kick us every once in a while, make sure we're still alive. It would come out and pour water on us. Like so they, they tortured us. I was going to say it's torture. It's. It's sick. You know, it's almost like a sick. It is sick. Yeah, like there's been eighty million like dollars off on in this shit, plain English. You know, from this like, facility. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, totally. It, it brought out the inner sadist in these people. Yeah, totally. Uh, and sick. and as as young influential adolescent gangbangers, we didn't know any better. We saw it as a war. Mm. Like, you know, let's fight. Uh, so at the age of twenty, I was lucky enough to to be ridden out of that facility because you can't be there after you're twenty. Thank God you uh, timed they, out. Right. They sent me back to St. Louis, uh, a level four facility. And my bunkie, when I go in, is a guy named Terrible T, who's one of the founding members of Young Boys Incorporated. It's a, it was a street gang in the 70s in Detroit, the YBI. Uh, they got famous for putting their logo on their dope sacks. And this guy took me from this young, savage, angry criminal 
to a smart, street smart criminal. He taught me all kinds of actual criminal things. And then at age 21, they opened the doors and were like, well, your time's done. You can go. Here's $75 and three condoms. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) No parole, no probation, no oversight, just doors open. Well, what do you think I'm going to do? I've just spent the last five years in war, (laughs) raised by savages and wolves. I have no conscience. I'm a greedy, self-centered individual whose biggest goal in life is to be the next Scarface. Oh, Uh, my gosh. And so I threw the condoms away. I don't need those. And I robbed somebody the first day I was out at a gas station. I I mean, the first day. I wasn't even out. I I came home. My brother had a little bit of a party for me. I got drunk. I woke up at 1.30 in the morning and decided that I wanted to go for a walk. I walked outside. didn't know where I was. And there's a quality dairy, a QD gas station. And I walked over there and I saw these two people coming out. And I'm like, I'm going to rob them. I need money. I've only got 75 bucks. Is that why so many many prisoners go back to jail so quickly it's a big part of it if they don't have something established to help them it's a huge part of it right and not only that i was just trained by all these people and so i spent the next two years of my life robbing drug dealers i got into big boy crimes i'm like well if i put on a police uniform they're gonna give me all their dope and money wait hold up and what so you became robin hood yeah, well, except I didn't I'm, give it to anybody but myself. Well, that's okay. You were doing. You know, yeah. He was. He was robbing the hood. Yeah, but you were. Yeah, you were robbing I was, I was people robbing that did the bad themselves, right? Oh my yeah. god. And so, and then I got. I just. It was bad. I got a couple of girls pregnant uh, on either sides of the, of the country. I was just a train wreck of a human being. I, I robbing drug dealers was such a lucrative industry for me um, that I was able to go across the country doing this. And uh, I came back. I started a home invasion ring with a, a couple of buddies, uh, and we treated it like a nine to five. It was oh. it was it was ridiculous. Oh um, but God. we would go every day, get gathering goods because we were we lacked conscious, right? I lacked any awareness of what consequences are. Do you think and prison so, did that to you though? One hundred percent. Oh, he had to survive. I was, it's I was all about mode. myself, and and there was no programming that I was involved in that would have taught me anything different. And so, it was uh, knowledge after, that you wouldn't get in college, right? Terrible. Uh, yeah. And on I mean, September second, two thousand four, I got caught again for a, a pretty heinous uh, crime, and sent back to prison for another twelve years. And wow, this time I'm, I mean I was twenty three, I think. And now I had two kids and I, I, it, it was, it was a little bit different. I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to be a dad. And my oldest son, uh, was living a couple miles away from the prison that I was at. And his mom took me back and we were together and we were going to try to raise his kids. She's going to go to school, uh, and I'll be in here and we'll, we'll visit and we'll, you know, all the time and we'll raise the kid together. And, and then, in 2008, I find out that my brother and this woman are having an affair. And, oh my God. That's and now crazy. my oldest son, I don't get him anymore. My brother is going, they literally tell me on the phone, I'm pregnant. It's your brother's kid. He's going to raise our son as his own. And we don't think he doesn't think you should call anymore. Oh and I'm like, so they're brothers God. and cousins. <laughs> they're brothers. They're yeah, they yeah, are yeah, yeah. The brothers, and, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. And so I lost my mind. And, and just 
ironically, uh, when I got back into the unit, I just found out that this kid ran into my cell and stole all my stuff. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, I, it was a very, very violent altercation. And I got taken to the hole, obviously. And as I'm standing in the hole, washing the blood and pepper spray off my face, I hear this guy, hey, white boy, come talk to me. And I'm like, I snapped out on this guy. Are you, you know, F-bombs uh, left and right. Don't talk to me. Stop calling, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he, every day, hey, white boy, come talk to me. Hey, white boy. Oh, and my I mean, God, that's funny. I'm spazzing on this guy. And about a week later, they took me down to see uh, SCC, which is a security classification committee. They're the ones that determine how long you're going to be in the hole. And they gave me 60 months. Uh, so it was five years in the hole. Oh, my God. And I'm like, well, that sucks. But, I mean, I still have eight years to go. So I, I just don't care, right? I, I literally don't care. I've lost anything that means anything to me. And I'm just a selfish, self-centered, gang-banging piece of shit. I just don't care. And I come back and he's calling again. Hey, why boy? Hey, why boy? Finally, I'm like, what, dude? What do you want to talk about? And, if, and I'll never forget it. And he said, why are you so angry? Because I'm in the hole. I'm in prison. My life sucks. You won't shut up. <laughs> There's plenty of reasons why I'm angry. He says, no, no, no. That's why you're mad. Mad is on the surface. Anger runs much deeper. And you are an angry young man. And it, it just... It, I don't know. It, something hit me with that. I'm like, damn, that's deep. And over the next 19 months, this man changed my life. We wow. were across the hall from each other in solitary confinement. And he helped me to rewire my brain, to look at life through the lens of love and kindness, to accept the past, to forgive myself, to forgive others, to learn how to process emotion. Uh, and it was such a, a dynamic relationship because he's a, a circle seven mobite, right? They do not like white people. Wait, wait, what is that again? <laughs> yeah, that was, I'll go a, back a, on that. A one. circle seven mobite. Circle um, seven mobite. Yeah, and and they don't like white people. <laughs> Are those the guys that stand and, on the corner with the megaphone, with the like the hat with the yeah. tassels? And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And oh, so Phil, in prison, how would you know that film? In, in prison, they're a very violent <laughs> gang. They're not they're not like a nice religious organization. They are a violent gang that were from the Mobites. I'm kind of curious what he and, was in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was in for murder. He he came in in uh, 1984, I think it was. And we had a natural life. He's never getting out. Oh, um, wow. And, but here he helped you. And out of nowhere. And mm -hmm. he had, you know, he had he, You'll have to read the book. Yeah, uh, I don't totally. Want to give it all the way, but but he he knew that his life was in the free world was over, and he saw an opportunity in me to pass on the 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 knowledge that he's picked up over his lifetime. I mean, it was never wow. religious. We never had a much of a religious discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, and through him, through me, he gets to leave a legacy in the world. Yes, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I'll never forget it when I left the hole 19 months later, I, I had done so much work that the administration started to see it and came and offered me uh, the opportunity to teach a class called Thinking for a Change. And if I were to teach this class, they would let me out of the hole early. Awesome. I'm in for that <clears throat> because the, the, the changes that I had made were tangible. 
right? In that 19 month stretch, it was tangible. They could see this. And they, they let me out to teach this class and they put me in the protective custody unit. <laughs> they wow. tricked me. I thought they were going to let me out of the hole to go teach this class. No, no. You're going to go to protective custody in the classes, all pedophiles. Oh, awesome. God. So and what here we teach go. Them? I have to them? teach these men how to think differently, how to understand that your actions have consequences and how to stop in the moment before you commit an act, how to stop, think. It's all about cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, um eliminating self-sabotaging behaviors, developing empowering beliefs so that you live a better life. And so I taught this class. I, I mean, it went really well. Wow. Good for you. Wow. Dedicated, so- I dedicated my life to, mm-hmm. to helping, to help heal because I had just gone through this soul-cleansing moment in the hole. And I knew, well, if I can, I don't have any superpowers nobody else has. I'm not special by any stretch of the imagination. So if I can do this, anybody can do this. And I've dedicated my life to, to helping with that ever since. Perfect. So how, so how has your experience in prison shaped your perspective of, uh, or taught you anything valuable? It sounds like to some you- degree it did because it turned you around and then you were teaching and the end you were teaching, correct? Before you were. Sure. Yeah. 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 I spent the rest of my, my bit mentoring guys and teaching classes and working with people and, and teaching them how to be better when we're here. So you you had a pivot in point. There was a pivot in point you went through. Uh, And and it wasn't an easy cakewalk because Mm. once I was done with protective custody, I knew I had to leave protective custody. I actually chose to stay there for a little bit longer because the, the peace was nice. Uh, but I knew that I have parole coming up, and so I have to be in general population in order to get that. <clears throat> and that meant that I had to go back and face the game because I was done. I didn't, you know, I was, I'm my own man. I'm not your puppet. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And they didn't take that very well. Uh, you don't just quit. And so I was stabbed. I was beaten several times, um, pumpkin headed with locks. Oh my God. Uh, and told them, like, I need y'all. I took a, an oath of nonviolence, right? I'm not going to hurt anybody anymore. I've hurt people my whole life. I'm not going to hurt anybody else. Okay. But if y'all don't leave me alone, yeah. <laughs> I'm Just... going to break that oath one time. Y'all know what I did for you. Mm-hmm. Think of what I'll do to you. Leave exactly. me alone. And they would not. <clears throat> and so. Unfortunately, I did make the choice <clears throat> to delve into one more violent act. Uh, and it was on the leader of the gang. And But it worked. And after that point, they left me alone. And since then, I have led a relatively nonviolent life. Thank God for that. And unfortunately, it took that violent act that you had to do to the leader of that gang in order to free yourself. And no. that's and that's they the same way with stop. outside of prison. Sometimes, unfortunately, to bring that up, but sometimes even outside of prison, right? You, you there's you, it take one down. It usually takes a bunch if you take the right one. Unfortunately, and, uh, and it's could, sad for you know anything, even with kids. School, it's sad because and, the mm-hmm. the answer that everybody's looking for it's so simple. I think human beings just have a problem with simplicity. I think. Mm. 
I think we have such an innate desire to understand things Mm -hmm. that simple things just don't do it for us. But that being said, the answer to everything is be kind. 100%. Humble, be kind. There's nothing that kindness cannot do. You want to be successful? Be kind. You want to have a good life? Be kind. You want to help the world? Be kind. Mm -hmm. Kindness is the end. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others. Kindness to self is the biggest barrier to freedom, internal mental freedom. Because we hold hold ourselves so accountable for our past that the, the shame and unworthiness prevent us from moving forward. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel worthy of having the dreams that we think that we have or the dreams that we do have, we don't feel worthy of receiving it. And when you don't feel worthy, subconsciously you will block any opportunities that the universe gives you to achieve those dreams. And this is true. Absolutely. 100%. Sonny, let me, can I ask you a question here? Um, you right. talked about that, that, that pivot point where the guy kept pestering you saying, hey, white boy, uh, do yeah. you think that a lot of people who are going through situations similar to yours miss that pivot point? Because you, pro- it probably would have, wouldn't have been, your life probably would completely different if you didn't actually pay open up to this man. But he had no choice to too. He was pretty. Yeah. I so, mean, thank God 100%. he did. Right. <laughs> I think people yeah, who go through those life changes don't actually realize that it's sometimes it's something really, really small. Yeah, one hundred percent. And again, it's the, the, the blockage subconsciously that we put up to the opportunities to help us in life. We get those opportunities all the time. Every day is an opportunity to make your life better, but we subconsciously block ourselves to these things. I could have remained angry in that moment and just not ever talk to this man. Wow. And, and is... who knows what my life would have been like. Right. No, amazing. Uh, amazing. It was like, <clears throat> I don't want to call him an angel, but it's almost like, you know, he was there and, it, and he, he, yeah, he got you up, got you further on in your life. Um, but there's so many other things that you've accomplished after prison so let's go through a, a little bit of that on what yeah. you're doing today, right? What's are yeah. you coaching? Obviously, you got a life, a lot of life's experiences. You could just fill us in, if you please, a little bit. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so when I when I first got out, uh, I worked for the union doing demolition. I knew in my mind that you have to you have to work and you got to prove yourself. Uh, but we are not constrained to a life that is given to us. We have the ability to do anything we want. When they were telling me the best you could hope for with 35 felonies and 18 years in prison, the best you could hope for would be a supervisor position at a factory. I don't accept that. No, you didn't. I, and you didn't. I, you didn't accept that. And I did not. And I believe we can manifest any type of destiny and future that we choose if we believe in ourselves. If we if we go at it with unbridled passion, and first of all, you have to know what you want. If you don't identify the things that you want in life, you're basically running around chasing your tail. You have to That's identify it. Self-awareness is such an, a crucial element to this. But I came out, I did demolition. I worked harder than anybody on that job site because I'm, sure I'm going to show you that I'm trustworthy, I'm capable Uh, And I will work my ass off for that paycheck. You pay me a good wage. I'm going to work my ass off. But let's all be clear. I'm not going to be here long because I have goals, dreams, and aspirations. This is a stepping stone. Smart. And so while I'm doing that, I started to, I started a band uh, because I'm big into music. Music was an escape for me as a child. It was, I love music. 
And so oh, I there started. You go. A, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Great picture. Wow. Uh, I started a band. This was a, a headlining show in Chicago uh, that we did actually. Nice. Um, and so this was a suicide awareness prevention show, actually, which was really good. Um, you got so much I started to talk about. Band. We can have you on 20 and, podcasts. <laughs> it's, we're going to continue, it, it, have to continue it, this. <laughs> it's a testament to manifestation. I didn't know anybody in the band except the drummer nine days prior to the band being made. We sat down. Here's a show. And in nine days, we built this band. Wow. 90 days later, we were signed to Ferocious Records. <laughs> and we're, oh we're doing tours. <clears throat> like we are headlining shows and i and while everybody else is like oh this is incredible this is crazy this you're so lucky i'm i am not lucky first of all it's passion belief and determination you can manifest anything you want i told you when i walked out the door this is what i was going to do and you're surprised i told you this is what i'm going to do so you mastered and manifestation you need to do a class on that manifestation no <laughs> doubt uh, it's one of the primary things that i teach is the power of manifestation oh, there you go Perfect. Uh, and so uh, I did the music for a while, but then quickly determined that my passion is not everybody's passion. So the guys in the band, they, they want to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what they want. Uh, and I didn't want that. I wanted to build an audience so that I can teach you about overcoming tragedy, overcoming trauma. I want you to have a better life. And here's some good music to listen to as well. And these guys were all about drugs and sex and, and being rock stars. And so it didn't last very long before here's the label. Well, we'll give you all this stuff. Go on tour. Here's a van. Here's money. Here's this. Uh, and then I'm the one that's got to pay for it because mm. you guys aren't. You All their money goes to drugs and, and crap equipment. And I'm the one that has to do everything. So that's I'm out a of lot this. of life's lessons. <laughs> yeah. You knew and what you so wanted. I, I I quickly made the decision that this is not going to work. I will take care of the financial end of, of the, of the, the, the label contract. Don't worry about it. And so I quit. I joined another band. Uh, it was a dubstep metal band on bass. We oh, made nice. a few music huh? videos yeah, and we, we did some touring and made some videos, but then COVID hit and I, I'm like, well, we can't do music anymore. And in the interim in that, there, I mean, there's so there's just so many layers to all of this because I was also running a, a, a nightclub um, while working a full time job, and and I had gone through a, a pretty bad breakup, and I came out took a, a week vacation in Phoenix with my youngest son's mother, who's she's a very motivational person, and I got back on track. I had lost it a little bit from my initial when I got out of prison. I I was determined and focused and motivated on on helping people Good. and then the music caught up to me i also got caught up in you know touring and and doing shows and i kind of lost focus a little bit and and i mean i can admit that uh and so i, I wanted to get back on track so i went down to a staffing company to get a part-time job and i walked out with a six-figure career <laughs> oh my lord because I believe in manifestation. <laughs> I walked in and I, I walked in and she's like, well, I have a couple of second shift positions available at a factory. And, and I, I have PTSD from the word factory. <laughs> like you're not, I'm not going to work in a factory because that's what they said. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so I started to talk to her and she was like, you are a fascinating creature. You should talk to the owner of the company. 
Well, absolutely, I should talk to. I agree with you one hundred percent, Joe. You should. I should talk to. The <laughs> she owner. calls you a creature, but you agree. It's okay. Give me the six figures. <laughs> and so she put me across the the hall, and I, I met Mike Donato, who owns the largest staffing company in Ohio. And I went in and I talked with him and his brother and his chief of staff or whatever she was, and he said, I, "This is incredible." He said, "I'm going to pay you to talk to people." Mm, look at this. Wow. I'm like, well, fascinating because yeah. I can do that well. And uh, after a little bit of a shopping spree with with nice clothing that I'd never seen in my life, I have my own office. I have my own desk. <laughs> and I'm like, this is nuts. This is manifestation. Here yeah. it is. And so now I not only have I learned how to be a staffing specialist and give you jobs, but I'm going to motivate you when you come in for this. I'm going to talk to you about your life and how to get your mental process right. Amazing. This is like so amazing. Here's the most amazing opportunity of my life. That good hand. And then we're like sitting that. here watching TV, and all of a sudden, everybody's talking about COVID. <laughs> like, oh. the hell is that? And sure enough, I, I, I looked at it for a split second. I said, the world is conspiring against me. <laughs> I've gone through all of this crap in my life, and I landed <laughs> this amazing opportunity. And now, COVID? <laughs> is going to take it away. Oh, Lord. Staffing oh, virus, industry got the hit virus. the worst from COVID, right? Because we have to find employees to put to work in other businesses. Mm. And COVID ruined that, destroyed it. So I immediately got laid off. And I'm like, well, now what? I can't make music. I can't work. I'm stuck in a house with this miserable, treacherous woman. <laughs> what, do I, what do I do? <laughs> And I'm watching YouTube and I see No Life Shack come on and, and he's doing a music reaction. And I'm like, if that guy can do that, he's got like 2 million subscribers. If that guy could do that, I can do that. So I went downstairs, turned on my camera, jumped on my computer, and I made a reaction video. And then less than 30 days later, I had 10,000 subscribers and I was banking on YouTube immediately, right wow. out the gate. Less than 90 days later, I've got 30, 25, 30,000 subscribers. I'm making five, six grand a month off of YouTube. I'm like, hallelujah. Wow. This is it, right? Yeah. I figured it out. Not only am I making an income by sitting and watching music videos and critiquing these music videos, and I do it authentically because I love music, so I'm, I'm watching these, but I also have built a platform where I now can talk to people about healing about being good people, yeah. about mm -hmm. being positive. So I immediately started podcasting. I did a show uh, on E360 TV network. I submitted a video and I won and I got a season on their TV network. Amazing. Uh, called Holding the Rope. Uh, wow. And that was where I you. found ordinary people that have done extraordinary things in their life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just started podcasting, interviewing people. I did a, a morning show called The Morning Brew for two hours a day from nine to 11 every day. Wow. And we built this massive following and started to create a culture of positivity. Wow. And then I went and had a Reiki session. Uh, one of my co-hosts was talking about Reiki and I've never done it before. And I'm not much into like the foo-foo spiritual stuff. Uh, but it you finds know, you. <laughs> I believe that we manifest everything in life. I don't need some mystical thing to do it for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm open. If you can show me a ghost, then I will believe in ghosts. Go for it. <laughs> and and he's like, I'm going to set you up with my Reiki master. You're going to go out and do a session for the show and then come back. So I went out and I had this Reiki session. And she 
unlocked everything that I was not admitting to myself. Wow. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> wow. I know what I have to do. And I immediately went home. Master. I, I went home and I left the girl that I was with. I was miserable. I was not happy. I put on this face that I was because we had a son and I worship my son. And I know in my heart of hearts, if I leave her, she's going to use him against me. Uh, but consequences be damned. I am going to live an authentic, happy life, period. And we, whatever's supposed to be will be. So I went home. I left her. She went ballistic. <laughs> Throwing uh-huh. candles out the windows. Immediately ran down, started destroying the studio. I tried to leave. I go to get in the car. She comes out, punches me, grabs the keys, run into the house, locks the door. And it's December 12th, 2020. Mm. I'm standing in shorts and a hoodie in the middle of winter. What do I do? Called the cops. Three different times police tried to get this girl to give me my keys to my car so I could leave. She just wasn't having it. Uh, and so a buddy of mine had seen a post she put out on Facebook, uh, another very prominent lead vocalist of a band. And he said, buddy, you got a plane ticket. I bought you a plane ticket. Come to Florida. Get the hell out of there. You need to take some space. And so I did. I went to the airport, flew down to Florida. And next thing I know, my car is impounded and destroyed. She said it was abandoned. All my stuff is destroyed. And I'm literally homeless now. And now I'm, I'm on a buddy's couch in Florida. And this is December of 2020. And I'm like, how did my life just go from six-figure job, in prison, you know, YouTube celebrity? What is going on here? And now I'm homeless? I refuse. Mm. I refuse. We are going to get up and we are going to show the world that through kindness and perseverance, you can do anything. And so I started. I just started climbing back up uh, and within a month had another condo, uh, started getting a computer. And I I kept on the track and I woke up at four in the morning, five in the morning, and they had hacked into my YouTube channel and posted porn at three in the morning. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. And so my YouTube channel was deleted by YouTube. Oh, and I'm she like, shit. She did. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know that wasn't me. I've never even had a, a, a warning from YouTube. I don't do this. What, and, but they don't want to hear it. There's absolutely no, there's no discussion. YouTube, your channel's just gone. Oh, my God. And it was right at that time that I had gotten on a podcast uh, as a guest called Boot Camp for the Mind and Soul. My booking agent said, I got this English lady who has a podcast in England called Boot Camp for the Mind and Soul, and I think you'd be perfect for it, and I lined you up. So I said, all right. Um, amidst all this chaos in my life, I jump on a, a, a five-minute pre-screen show with her, and my life is chaos. I got this two-year-old running around going crazy. I got two cats that are destroying everything. My phone's going bananas. Life is chaos for me. And we're on a, a pre-screen. I'll be there. I'll be there for the podcast. I promise I'll be there. I'll be there. A couple of weeks later, the podcast comes up. She now admits that she didn't think she would ever see me again. Um, and I popped up 15 minutes early, just like I was here. I'm, I'm ready. I'm on point. I'm professional. Yes, Let's you are. Mm-hmm. And in that hour long podcast, I fell in love with this woman and she fell in love with me. And we are together to this day. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. She was in England and I was in Cleveland. Oh, wow. And, uh, Nice it, love it, story. Was, it was the most amazing raw conversation I've ever had in my life. And for the first time, I felt like somebody actually saw me. 
and oh. there was no judgment. There was no nothing there. And she was going through a bad divorce. Uh, so we started talking every day on the phone, five, six hours a day, FaceTime, talking to each other. And she said, let's go to Palm Springs. I said, I hate Florida. <laughs> she said, no, no, it's in California. <laughs> I was, oh, okay. Well, I'm cool with that. So here we are, June 6th of 2021. We've come here to Palm Springs, California and have lived a life of purpose. This is, this is my star seed. We are, these, we are diametrical opposites. When you look at us on the surface, we are completely different. I am loud, brash, heavy, hard American, love things loud. Rock. And she, <laughs> That's good. she is a soft, compassionate, quiet, soft little bunny. Right. She yeah, but you married, need that. That's why you are our core. Yeah. We are exactly that. We stand on a foundational principle of kindness, compassion, and authenticity. And because of that, we have never had a moment where we have not been madly in love. And we it, it's amazing. And so well, we good for now, you and it's well deserved. Very nice to hear that. Yeah. 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 Wow. And we're in California. Now we own a cat cafe, the only cat cafe in the Coachella Valley. Oh, yeah. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Because I know your time is wrapping up and you're a pretty busy it? guy. But let's, uh, do you want to mention I'm telling that you, little cafe? Go quick. I, yeah. Um, we own Frisky Business Palm Springs Cat Cafe. It's the only cat cafe in the Coachella Valley. Oh, nice. We, we, when we got here, we decided we needed a business to start. And we're both very passionate about mindset coaching. Um, she was a mindset coach for a long time, a keynote speaker. And, but we need, she couldn't work while she's here because she hasn't uh, gotten citizenship. So we needed to start a business. And she said, let's do a cat cafe. I had no idea what the hell that was. I'm like, well, what is that? Uh, but the concept of it, taking cats out of cages and getting them into forever homes, it's a no brainer. Let's do that. Uh, and so we built this thing up and it's incredible. We've done 62 adoptions since we opened wow. in December. Good for you. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's it's been absolutely incredible. And we have built a community that is insanity. Like oh. I live such a happy and fulfilled life. Good for you. And wow. It allows wow. me to manifest everything that I had worked for what in my life. Story. Where I wanted yeah. to be is where I'm at. I I'm just now establishing the Von Cleveland Foundation, which is my nonprofit organization that is designed to bring mindset coaching and personal development programming to marginalized people and uh, the formerly incarcerated. It's expensive. I'm trying to make it available for free. We own Itopia Coaching. I I'm the director of Itopia Coaching, which is a mindset coaching company. Um, we have a 12 week eight module curriculum called the Choice Effect. And this is what I'm trying to bring. I'm trying to disseminate this to people for free. It can really change your life. Um, and, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a mentor to the juveniles in the juvenile facility. I work with the Riverside County Probation Department to go into the juvenile facilities and mentor these guys that are on a bad path, which if somebody had done for me, uh, wow. I, I, but I don't, I, I, I'm not upset about anything that's happened in my life because it's made me who I am. Who you Every are. single yeah. thing that has happened has put me in this position. So I'm thankful. Wow. I'm thankful for that. I'm also a re-entry coach in Los Angeles with the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, where we go and pick inmates up for prison and give them a ride home. Okay. It's and us just... having that experience helps us to help them transition back into society. Wow. So you have a, you have a lot to talk about, and you can almost see that you can be a in lot more of than just one podcast. You need a series.
Yeah, because um, I own a photography company and I'm an actor yeah. out here. In the, oh, <laughs> there's so well, much. But it's can, a fulfilling life, right? You have so much. I, I have one. Oh, cause I know it's getting late. And I know you have other podcasts because you're a busy man. But I do have one question. I just jotted down, just came to me. Yeah. Do you believe that um, actually being a prisoner in reformation can make people to can change, to make you better? Does that make sense? Because your story is unique. Yeah, it's unique. You have a unique um, story. So, I mean, I, I well, I I do have a bit of a unique story, but it's it's also incumbent on the person that's going through the experience. Mm. I'm not the first person that's done it, right? Nelson Mandela did 20 years, became president of his country. Victor Frankel, who's one of the most influential men in my life, uh, his book Man's Search for Meaning. There's a Jewish man who had his entire family stolen, everything he owned ripped away, thrown into Auschwitz, where he witnessed and endured torture on an epic scale and did it with a smile on his face and brought the people up around him. Wow. The man's a saint, right? So I'm not the only one that's done it. It's incumbent on the person. Life is not going to hand it to you. You have to take it. You have to understand that you want something better in life and then have the courage mm-hmm. to take it. Thank you for answering that. You answered it well. Sonny, um, before we yeah. get out of here, can you give us um, all your websites and where everybody can find you? Because uh, Ellie's audience is going to be asking, like, where can we find this guy? Where can we get his book? Yeah. Where is all So the stuff? book drops uh, September 1st. You can already pre-order the ebook now. Um, it's called Hey White Boy. It is on Amazon. Uh, you can find it there. But the easiest way to find anything that I do is just Google Sonny Von Cleveland. Yep, I've only, come to find one. that that's the easiest way, yeah. right? I'm the only I'm the only one. Uh, and <clears throat> just follow on Facebook, Instagram. I'm trying to learn to get Twitter better, but I suck at technology. Use I'm, threads. I'm Use threads. I am on threads. Follow me on threads. Uh, I've oh, been trying okay. to well, get cool. that thing going as well. Right. <laughs> um, I do a daily podcast every morning. It's not a podcast, more like talk radio, but I do it every morning. The morning uh, choice, in, right? In yeah. July, the morning choice, okay. which will be going to five oh, days a week. So. But, um, nice. And then you can go to heywhiteboy.com. If you mm-hmm. want to check out some of my coaching and things that are available Perfect. there, you can go to itopiacoaching.com. Uh, gotcha. And, Thanks for sharing yeah. all this information. Thank and you. then check out my YouTube, Sonny Von Cleveland. We're about to hit 12,000 subscribers for the third Whoa. time. Whoa, so let's God. go. Wow. Good for you. Wow, very <laughs> We're impressive. working. Yeah. We, we don't quit. Just, yeah. Good for you. Great energy. Great energy. We got to have you. you on again and talk just to go even deeper. I know. You know? It's, it, there's totally so much down. to take in. And we're like in awe, right? Because that's what happens when you're doing these interviews. And especially when we have this interest in person opening up to us about their lives it's uh we're because a lot of it we learn as you speak you know so we're learning with our audience right because it's not just sure so it's amazing to us too what you just you know the stories you just told us amazing well thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share it yeah Um, thank you very much i think i think that's the way that we cultivate uh, a world of kindness is we share when you find something positive share it and that's it's what we're, so easy. And that's what we're hoping with the podcast that we're doing, the story time with Ellie, is for people to, like you to come on and share what they've been through, how you've grown, and we want positive, you know, outcomes. You know, you want the good and, and here's and how the, we changed. Be all end all of it. If you take anything away from your interaction with me, it mm-hmm. is a choice 
-hmm. You get to choose everything that you do in your life. It takes the same amount of energy to pop up positive news as it does negative news. Yeah, so I if want you more watch positive. negative news, yeah. that's your choice. And when your mm -hmm. day is negative, that's why. I, I agree. I agree with that. And that's kind of like, like you know, repeating what I just said, too. We want, we want you know, the bad, the good, and, and you know, how you, we turned it around. That's what we want that's in right. stories, right? We want the good part. And, and you definitely have a fantastic, I don't want to call it an ending because it's not ending. It's your beginning. We but it's all good started. stuff. Good stuff. You just okay. started. You're going to be rocking that out. Good for you. And your Thank wife. Thank you so much. Congratulations to both of you. It's been a good Thank day. you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Thank right. you, Sonny. Absolutely. Thanks well, for Thank you. Me. We'll catch you next time, yeah. guys. See right. you later. Yay. See ya. <laughs>